0: If you were here last Sunday, you'll notice right off the bat that this is an interruption in our series from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 520 that I announced last week. The reason for the interruption is our deep conviction that every Christian needs to be in a cluster of comrades who are committed to helping each other fight the fight. Of faith, And our focus this morning is on strengthening each other's hands in God. We believe that eternal security is a community project. Or to put it another way, we believe that the perseverance of the saints is a corporate responsibility. The same loving Lord who said, I know my sheep and I call them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. and No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Also said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. To be born of God means that we are eternally secure in the hand of Jesus. And to be born of God means that we must and will persevere to the end in faith. Now that raises the question about what means God has ordained in between the beginning of the Christian life and the end so that he can and will infallibly fulfill the promise that none of his will be snatched from his hand. What means has God ordained to preserve his people, enduring and persevering to the end? And this morning's message is part of the answer to that question. An essential part, though not the whole part, or not the whole thing. The part that it is, is found in our text, I believe, or in a text in Hebrews that I'm going to allude to first. Namely, Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14. Let me just quote it for you so that you don't have to bother to take the time to look it up. Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have shared in Christ if we hold fast our first confidence to the end. Exhort one another Every day. And so the answer that I'm offering this morning is that God has appointed a means by which he will preserve his people firm in the faith until the end. Namely, he has ordained that every believer find himself or herself in a cluster of Christians who are committed to exhorting each other every day to hold Firm their first confidence to the end. Helping each other fight the fight of faith every day is God's means by which he intends to do this. Now, I don't say today that you could be or that you can only be saved if you belong to an organized small group. Say the 2020 vision, which we're going to be talking about at the end of the service. That's not what I'm saying. But here is how much I think I can say on the authority of God's Word, namely, if you neglect to have some friends, some comrades in the faith, a cluster of fellow believers who are committed to Strengthen your hand in God day in and day out. If you neglect that, then you are neglecting the means appointed by God for the preservation of your faith to the end. And to neglect the means of grace is perilous to your soul. That much we can say. On the basis of Scripture. So my goal this morning is very simple, namely to motivate you to be in some kind of fellowship, some kind of cluster, some kind of camaraderie whereby you receive day in and day out from your brothers or sisters exhortations to be strong in the Lord and to avoid the deceitfulness and the hardening power of sin. The text is 1 Samuel 23 verses 15 to 18. And at the end of this message, which is going to be shorter than usual, Peter Nelson is going to come and lay before you one network of small groups at Bethlehem, the 2020 vision, which he oversees while Steve is gone. And it may be that God will touch you and say, this is the need in your life. And you might look then for an opportunity, and this may be the opportunity that is right for you. The text is 1 Samuel 23, 15 to 18. It's a simple illustration of what goes on when you're fighting the fight of faith with a comrade in the faith. David is going from one place to the other in the wilderness of Ziph. This is the background. It's about 30 miles south of Jerusalem, and he is on the flight from King Saul. Saul is the king of Israel, and he is trying to kill David because he thinks he's a threat to the throne. And Jonathan, Saul's son, loves David. And he hears that he's on the flight down there in the wilderness of Ziph. And he goes from Jerusalem down to Horish, 30 miles to, to strengthen his hand in God. Now, I see four lessons in this text Simple. Anybody can see them. And I'll mention them one at a time. We'll just expand on them. I think they're relevant for us in this concern that we have today. The first lesson is this. The deepest saints and the strongest Christian leaders still need comrades to strengthen their hands in God. The deepest saints... And the strongest leaders need comrades in the faith to strengthen their hands in God. David was deep, wasn't he? Have you ever read the Psalms? David was strong, a mighty warrior. And David needed his Jonathan at this moment. We never outgrow our need to be exhorted day in and day out to be strong in the Lord. It is not just for new recruits in little discipleship groups. If you think today that you have grown beyond the need for regular exhortation from your brothers and sisters in the faith, then very likely you have already been taken in by the deceitfulness of sin. Because it's such a clear teaching in Scripture that it's necessary for us to endure. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a great warrior. And he was not beyond the need for Jonathan's strengthening in God. Verse 16 says, Jonathan went and strengthened his hand in God. Charles Spurgeon I admire Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in London in the middle of the 19th century, and many have said he was the greatest preacher in the 19th century. Let me read something that he wrote after an experience that he had in his autobiography. Some years ago, I was the subject of fearful depression of spirit. Various troublous events had happened to me. I was also unwell And my heart sank within me out of the depths. I was forced to cry unto the Lord just before I went away to Mentone for rest. I suffered greatly in body, but far more in soul for my spirit was overwhelmed under this pressure. I preached a sermon from the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I was as much qualified to preach from that text as ever I expect to be. Indeed, I hope that few of my brethren could have entered so deeply into that heartbreaking word. I felt to the full of my measure the horror of a soul forsaken of God. Now that was not a desirable experience. I tremble at the bare idea of passing again through that eclipse of soul. I pray that I may never suffer in that fashion again. You read his autobiography and his biographies, you realize this was a recurrent problem with Charles Spurgeon. And I mention it because he was a great man. He was a deep man. He was a strong man. He was a leader. And he was not beyond the need to have his hands strengthened in God. And so the twofold point under this first lesson is this never think that you are beyond the need to be strengthened in God and the second half of the point is never think that someone is so far beyond you that you can't strengthen their hand in God wouldn't you agree that David was a stronger man than Jonathan a more intelligent man than Jonathan A deeper man than Jonathan, a better theologian than Jonathan, and yet he needed Jonathan at that moment. Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. And so the two points are, I don't get beyond the need. Nobody is so low that they can't meet somebody else's need to be strengthened in God. Here's the second lesson from the text. Strengthening a person's hand in God usually requires conscious effort to do it. It's intentional. I say usually because we've all known those times when accidentally someone crossed our path. They didn't intend it. We didn't intend it. God intended it, and it met our need. But usually... It should be a conscious, intentional effort that we go out of our way to strengthen someone's hand in God. Look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. That was 30 miles. What a difference it would make in our church if seven or eight hundred people on Sunday morning got up and part of what was in their mind before they came to church was to plan to strengthen someone's hand in God. Not, oh, maybe it'll happen today. Maybe I'll be of use to somebody today. But when you get up tomorrow morning, for example, to plan to strengthen one person's hand in God, you might be able to strengthen ten. But just plan one. Plan it. Make it intentional. Jonathan did. He must have gotten word. David is on the flight again. My dad is at it again. He's going to kill him. What must he be going through? I've read some of the Psalms that he's written when he's in the caves. And he goes out of his way. To strengthen his hand in God. Is there any long distance phone call you could make this afternoon? It's cheap, Sundays. Does somebody need you on the phone this afternoon? Tomorrow at work? A relative distant? Somebody in the small group? You just heard about a parent who is having a tragedy in their life? I did. You know somebody that needs to have their hand strengthened in God today or tomorrow or Friday. Plan it. That's the second lesson. Plan it. Make it intentional. He did not accidentally arrive in Horus. He rose and he went down to Horus. I've been uh, reading the memoirs of Samuel Pierce. There was a group of Baptist pastors in England in uh, the end of the 18th century in the 1790s. They got started, the first Baptist missionary society. Among them were uh, John Ryland and uh, John Sutcliffe and Andrew Fuller and Samuel Pierce and William Carey. And uh, these men, uh, what I've been seeing so clearly now is that they loved each other. They got together with each other. They strengthened each other's hands in God. And out of that came William Carey's missionary movement. Um, It was a year before Samuel Pierce, who loved William Carey very much, got a letter back from India. A year, over a year. He left in May of 93, and I think the letter came in July of 94. Here's what he wrote. Here's what Samuel Pierce wrote to Carrie after he got that letter. The account you gave us inspired us with new vigor and greatly strengthened our hands in the Lord. Greatly strengthened our hands in the Lord. We read, we wept, we praised, we prayed. Oh, who but the Christian feels such pleasures as are connected with friendship for our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great phrase? Friendship for our dear Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I'm pleading for this morning. Have you formed consciously friendships for our Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a group of people with whom you get together or whose paths cross frequently enough so that you can be committed to pointing each other to Jesus Christ day in and day out. And that leads us right to the third lesson, this pointing to Jesus Christ, because the third lesson in our text is that the strength we are to give to the other people to whom we're committed is a strength in God. You see that in verse 16, Jonathan doesn't come all the way down to Horish to strengthen David's self-confidence. He did not come to strengthen his self-confidence. He came to strengthen him in God. He came to strengthen his hand in God. There's the difference between Christian camaraderie and all other support groups and therapy groups and self-help groups. Christian camaraderie exists to point people to God for their strength. He strengthened his hand in God. He took his hand and he said, hold on to God, not me. Hold on to God, not yourself. Hold on to God, not your chariots. That's the unique thing about Christian camaraderie. It exists to point people to God. So there's a paradox here, isn't there? On the one hand, I say to you, I need you. I need you. I need you. Because God has appointed you to be the means to my perseverance in faith. I need you. But on the other hand, I say, the, the only way you're going to be of any significant help to me is if you say something or do something that points me to God and not to you. See the paradox? I need you, but I don't need you. <laughs> you see? I need you very much, but only... If you will help me get to God, only if I can see God in you, only if you don't make me dependent on you, but on God. I need you, but I need you to point me to God. The uniqueness, the essential uniqueness of Christian camaraderie is that we need each other to point each other to God and not ourselves so that we will be dependent upon God and not upon Man. And so our third lesson is Jonathan rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And now finally, fourth lesson. How did he do this? How do we do it? Well, verse 17 says what Jonathan said. Jonathan said, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Now, how did Jonathan know with such confidence that David was going to survive this attack and was going to be the king of Israel? How do you know that? I think the answer is this. We're not told explicitly, but wouldn't you agree this is it? They were like this. They were blood brothers. They were comrades. They were bosom friends. And therefore, they probably spoke to one another often about the significant events in their lives. What had made them who they are? What was more significant in David's background than the event described in 1 Samuel 16? Where Samuel, the prophet of God, comes to Jesse, David's father, and says, I have been commissioned by the Lord to anoint one of your sons to be the king of Israel. Let me see your sons. He parades his sons before him, and they're not the one. And then comes the boy David from the pastures. This is it. And he pours the oil over the boy's head. That was an unforgettable experience. If Jonathan and David had spoken of anything significant in their lives, they had spoken of that event. Therefore, I think what Jonathan was doing was simply calling to David's remembrance his destiny and the purposes of God. He was reminding him of the promise of God. He was applying the purpose and the word of God to David's unique need. It looks as if he might be wiped out. And Jonathan says... You can't be wiped out. God has spoken. God has anointed you to be king. Do you believe in God? I'm reminded of... I haven't said this in any of the other services. I'm going to take a risk on the third service here with length. Um, It reminds me of Martin Luther. Did you hear this story? I think I've told this once before. One morning, his uh, wife came down to the breakfast table dressed in black because he had been so depressed... And she was in mourning garments. And he was indignant at the breakfast table and says, what's wrong? Who died? And she said, God died. And he just, in his typical Martin Luther way, smashed the table. What do you mean God died? The Lord reigns. And she says, well, then why don't you act like it? So she was Jonathan to her husband that morning. What do you need from God if you are William Carey having left the cluster of friends who have sustained your faith and given you vision over the years and you go now, you will never come back from India for 40 years. You go with a demented wife and three boys and one partner, John Thomas. What do you need to hear from Samuel Pierce, your friend? I close with this illustration of how Samuel Pierce took the word of God, put it in a letter, and wrote this. Brother, I long to stand by your side and participate in all the vicissitudes of the attack. An attack which nothing but cowardice can make unsuccessful. Yes, the captain of our salvation marches at our head. Sometimes he may withdraw his presence but not his power to try our prowess with our spiritual arms and celestial armor. Oh, what cannot a lively faith do for the Christian soldier? It will bring the Deliverer from the skies. It will array him with a vesture dipped in blood. It will place him in the front of the battle and put a new song into our mouths. These made war with the lamb, but the lamb shall overcome them. Yes, he shall. The victory is sure before we enter the field. The crown is already prepared to adorn our brows. Even that crown of glory, which fadeth not away. And already we have resolved what to do with it. We will lay it at the conqueror's feet and say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. While all heaven unites in the chorus, Worthy the Lamb. I wish I would get letters like that more often. Now, we don't all have a gift to strengthen each other's hand with words that wonderful. But wouldn't you agree that if every one of us steeped our minds in the Word of God... And as Psalm 1 says, meditated on the law of the Lord day and night, we would become trees that bore fruit that others could eat and be nourished by. We would become springs of living water that people could drink from and be refreshed by and be encouraged by. And you wouldn't have to be anybody great. You just have to be saturated with the Word of God. And so let us... Strengthen each other's hands in God. And my closing appeal to you before Peter comes is that God has willed in his word for everybody in this room who names the name of Christ to be in some kind of camaraderie, some kind of cluster, some kind of group, some kind of friendship which is committed daily to exhort one another, whether over the phone or through passing or in meetings to strengthen each other's hands in God. Let's be about it together. Find a way to do it. Here's one possibility that Peter will tell you about. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Almighty God and merciful Heavenly Father, I pray that You will take the truths of the morning and apply them to our hearts for Your glory and for our Good. For the good of a needy world. The truth, Father, that none of us has outgrown the need to have our hands strengthened in God. The truth, Lord, that our efforts should be intentional and conscious and planned. The truth, Lord, that all of our strengthening should be a strengthening in God. And the truth that we need to abound in your word, for surely it is the word of God that strengthens people in you. Take these four lessons, Lord, and let them be inescapably effective as they bear fruit in the lives of these people for your great namesake and now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the throne of his glory with rejoicing to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and honor before all time now and forevermore. And all the people said, Amen.